0: You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 192, The Hidden Reason for Misbehavior in Kids and Parents. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30 minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. What if I told you that in the next 30 minutes, you are going to learn one secret that has the potential to completely change many of the misbehaviors in your home? Would you believe me? I hope so, because that is what today's conversation with Wendy Bertnell did for me. Wendy is a special education teacher who is also a mother of three, and she's here to teach us about sensory preferences. Do you know what those are? It's basically how much stimulation a person can tolerate within each of the physical senses, how much stimulation they avoid or actively seek out. In this episode, you'll hear Wendy explain how identifying and supporting the unique sensory preferences of each person in our family can dramatically improve the environment, relationships, and behaviors in our homes you are not going to want to miss this incredibly impactful conversation with a brilliant educator. But before we dive into it, I want to remind you about the two companies that are making this episode possible. Our first sponsor for the month of July is Jane.com. I have loved getting to explore this online boutique marketplace over the past few months. It has women's clothing and accessories home decor, and children's clothing and toys. Really, it has everything, but it's all curated from small shops and big brands to be good quality and aligned with the latest trends. As I mentioned, today's episode is about helping our children and ourselves meet our sensory preferences, and Jane always has a lot of deals that could help with that. If you or your child really loves soft, fuzzy things, you can find minky and fleece blankets or sweatshirts, or if you love beautiful scents, there are often deals on candles, I have been so impressed by their inventory of great toys for kids, many that could help with sensory preferences, such as fidget poppers, yoga swings or outdoor swings, stuffed animals that you can warm up in the microwave for a good snuggle, and more. They also have a top-rated app that's perfect for busy moms. You can simply open the Jane app wherever you are and see what their latest deals are. If you're interested in checking out what jane.com has to offer, they actually helped me create a curated shop page, especially for three and 30 listeners with some of my favorite items displayed. You can see the deals I handpicked for you at jane.com slash three and 30. That's jane.com slash three and 30. Our second sponsor is BetterHelp, The world's largest provider of counseling done 100% online. If you are managing difficult behaviors in your home or have children with a lot of intense needs, It is all the more important that you have emotional support and tools to build your resilience. You'll hear me mention in this episode today that my counselor has helped me to expand what she calls my window of tolerance, which is basically the amount of emotional input I can handle before I sort of shut down emotionally or go into anxious overdrive. I've worked with my counselor online almost every other week for about five years, which is a lot of therapy, my friends, but it has helped me be a much more resilient and better mother and human. And I can't recommend this kind of support highly enough. BetterHelp makes it so convenient because you don't have to leave home or find a babysitter or take time off work to go to an appointment. You just get your kids settled in front of a movie or you take your lunch break at work and you do your appointment via phone call or video chat. Many BetterHelp counselors even allow you to text them between appointments so you can have some ongoing support as you apply the tools you're learning in therapy. To get started, go to betterhelp.com slash 3in30 and fill out their intake questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed professional counselor who can effectively address your needs. As a listener of 3in30, you get 10% off your first month. So go to betterhelp.com slash 3in30 and get started today. And now, onto the show, let's learn about the hidden reason for misbehavior in kids and parents. Here we go. Wendy, welcome to 3 and 30. Thanks, Rachel. It's good to be here. It's so good to have you. I am so excited to learn from you today. You have a master's in special education, and I love your story of how you realized that what you were learning in your classroom and about your special ed students really applied to your parenting and to parenting all children and not even just children's behaviors, but grownups behaviors too. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how you realized kind of this hidden secret aspect of all behavior and how it can help us to be better parents.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So at the time, when I first started having kids, I had my master's degree, I was teaching special ed, and I was teaching some of the most difficult children Mm -hmm. um, with different abilities, but lots of behaviors. And I felt like I knew it all, right? Like I had the by the book methods and it was doing all the things. And I felt really confident about it in the classroom. But then I would go home and after my second son was born, I just felt like I didn't have it all together at home. It was super hard for me. There were a lot of tantrums, a lot of meltdowns, a lot of things I just couldn't understand and just couldn't figure out about him. And so one day I was reading a book for my children in my special ed class, Mm -hmm. all about sensory processing. And I was like, oh yeah, I get this. We go to occupational therapy with my kids from school and I take them there and they do sensory things and it's supposed to be this magical thing. So I wanted to learn more about it. And as I was reading it, I just started crying. As I realized that everything it said in there was the key to why my kid was having such a hard time. And it explained every single one of his behaviors. Mm. And then the more I read it, the more I started to realize, oh my gosh, this is why I feel so weird about this particular thing. This is why my husband does this. This is why my sister does this. Mm. Then I just really started realizing that sensory processing, when we understand it, it really is the key to understanding all of us, just like you said, not just our kids.
0: All behavior
1: all of our behavior, all the weird, quirky, unexplained things. And when we understand the sensory aspect of it, we can approach it in a much more healthy and positive way.
0: Hmm. That is so powerful. And just reading through your outline, I could see how this could be so transformative to understand these seven senses. How do we see when we or our child is getting overloaded and then being able to work that in to our home life could be a complete game changer. So why don't you start us with your first takeaway?
1: Absolutely. So the first takeaway is that we all have sensory preferences. And this is huge because, like I said, as a special ed teacher, I thought, oh, sensory is for kids with autism or kids with disabilities or kids with sensory processing disorder. Mm. But really, we all have sensory preferences And having a background in elementary education, I like to think of things in terms of really simple analogies. So I Mm. like to think of sensory preferences in terms of cups. So imagine we all have a series of seven cups, and they're all different sizes. The little ones will mean we can only tolerate a little bit of that particular sensation. A big cup would mean that we're seeking out more of that particular sensation. Mm. So I'll go through the seven senses that are most commonly linked to behavior, And I'll talk about what a big cup would look like and what a little cup would look like. Okay, great. So with the vision cup or seeing cup, some people get really overwhelmed by clutter or really overwhelmed by a lot of light or visual stimulation, a lot of posters on the wall. That would be a small visual cup. Whereas a large visual cup, they may not notice the clutter or they may not notice that the lights are so bright or that they're fluorescent or a different color. And they like a lot of different color. They're Mm. seeking out that. So hearing a small cup would be that they can only tolerate a little bit of noise. Maybe background noise is really overwhelming to them or loud noises or unexpected noises are too much and they cause them to be overwhelmed. Whereas somebody with a large hearing cup would be one who seeks out maybe background noise when they're doing homework
0: Mm. or
1: they're trying to concentrate. They want the radio on. Taste is one that's commonly linked to picky eating. But a small taste cup would be one who's, they're kind of avoiding or wanting more of the bland flavors. They don't like mixing flavors. They don't like things too spicy. Too much flavor is overwhelming. Whereas a big Mm. cup, lots of flavor, lots of different flavors. It's all good. Touch has to do with the way things feel on our skin and in our mouth. Again, linked with picky eating. But it's also, a small cup would also be linked to like, The kid who's really particular about the socks that they wear, if the seams don't feel perfect, or if Mm. the shoes are too tight, or if the tag on their shirt doesn't feel right, or they have to wear a certain kind of pants or won't wear jeans, or if certain textures don't feel right in their mouth, that's picky eating. But a big touch cup would be the kid who's seeking out lots of touching They really Mm. like that sensation of touching. So they'll be the person who's really handsy with people or the kid who you take to target and does not keep their hands to themselves. Mm. (laughs) They have to touch all the things.
0: Yeah, stroking like... My son loves to stroke soft blankets and he's Mm -hmm. even gotten into situations at school where they've said he like will stroke a girl's fleece jacket and it makes her uncomfortable. And he's not meaning obviously anything predatory by it, Mm -hmm. but we have to teach him that you can't reach out and stroke somebody's clothes just because they look really soft and lovely, but we can use that love of touch to benefit him in other situations where I know he needs a a cozy blanket and different things. So it's like knowing his preferences helps me to parent him based on that.
1: Absolutely. Because if you were to address that as a behavior, you'd say, oh, don't touch other people. That's wrong. You need consent, all the things. But addressing it as a sensory thing and just saying, oh, he's trying to fill his touch cup because that's what helps him feel calm and regulated then you can approach it in that way. And it's so Mm. powerful.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it's not
1: shaming to him. Yes. And
0: then what are the others?
1: Smell. I have a small smell cup. So you will never find me near or in an outhouse because I cannot stand strong (laughs) smells or unpleasant odors. I just can't. Yeah. I also don't clean with any kind of detergents. And it's just too overwhelming for me. I'll get a headache. And I smell things really easily. My husband, however, has a large smell cup. So smells don't bother him and they're not overwhelming to him. And he'll welcome in a lot of things. I welcome in soft smells, but he could welcome in anything.
0: So can you do like essential oils and stuff like that or not?
1: Very small amounts and it has to be certain kinds.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So even pleasant smells, you can't do too much of it.
1: Not too much. Exactly. Yeah. My mom put an air freshener in my car the other day and I had to get it out of my car and like put the windows down because it was giving me a headache. I just can't do it. Interesting. Okay. Um, Proprioception is one that is less known and that just has to do with the amount of pressure on any of our joints throughout our body. Okay. So it's impossible to have a small proprioceptive cup. So a medium proprioceptive cup would be a child who's seeking out movement or pressure. A large proprioceptive cup or extra large, those are going to be the kids who seek out aggressive type of play. Mm. Or if they give you a high five, it's like smacking the person, you know, knocking them to the next planet. Uh-huh. Right? Um, and they're always roughhousing. They're always seeking out movement. My husband actually has a massive proprioceptive cup, so he cannot sit still and he cannot give light hugs. It's got to mm. be the tight bear hug. Mm. And vestibular is the last one. And that has to do with your body being in motion. And it's similar to proprioception, but it has more to do with the movement than the pressure. And a small vestibular cup would be a person who gets motion sickness, for example, or doesn't like spinning or flipping or swinging, whereas a large vestibular cup would be one who needs more of that sensation. So they're constantly flipping, spinning, turning, twirling, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. So with the proprioception, (laughs) did I say that right? (laughs) Why is it not possible to have a small cup for that one?
1: That's an interesting question. Proprioception tends to be the most calming and it can calm the rest of our senses. If our proprioceptive cup is full, it tends to like fill the rest of the cups or just level them all out. Mm -hmm. So there's really no aversions to proprioception. It's just how much you need to fill your cup. Whereas other things you can have aversions to. Interesting. Okay.
0: And so, is it good or bad to have a small cup or a large cup in these different senses?
1: I love that you asked that. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. It's like saying, I prefer chocolate over fruit. It's not good or bad, it's just a preference. And knowing that preference, you can cater to it. And I almost hate to use the word cater because we don't love to cater to our children because it sounds like we're spoiling them. But Mm -hmm. we can definitely meet the needs of those preferences. Because what happens is, if our cups get too full or too empty, our body goes into fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And so, if we have a small cup and it's overflowing because we have too much of a sensation, let's say it's dinner time and we, as moms, have really small hearing cups. A lot of us do. And stress makes our cups smaller, and our kids are being super loud and super noisy, and we've got the TV on and all the things, and we just explode. Mm. Basically, our cup has overflown and we reacted to it in fight or flight. If we understood our sensory preferences and we knew that our small cup is something that we deal with, then we can take proactive measures to meet those needs ahead of time so that we don't end up in fight or flight. And we can do the same for our kids too.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting and so important. I feel like as a society and as a culture, we do sometimes act like it's better to have a bigger cup. In some of these areas, Mm -hmm. like they're so overdramatic that they can't handle the seam in their sock being a certain way or whatever. Basically, we're moralizing having a small cup in certain areas when really, like you said, it just is. Are you just born with these different preferences, sensory preferences? Can you change them or not? You
1: can change them. The interesting thing is they can change. Our cups tend to shrink with stress and expand a little bit when we're calm which is Mm -hmm. really important to note for our kids. But through time and with support and with calmness, you can actually expand a cup. So for example, when I was coaching parents on this, a lot of parents would come to us with kids who have extreme picky eating preferences. Mm -hmm. They would eat less than 15 foods and that interferes with daily life. And so Mm -hmm. when that happens, you can do very specific things to support the child Not through force, not through shame, not through like bribery or trickery, but really supporting them through it. And they can expand their cups, but it really takes uh, a lot of intentionality.
0: Yeah. My therapist sometimes talks about the window of tolerance, what you are able to tolerate before you become hyper aroused or hypo aroused under, you kind of stop functioning well And you have like a window where you can tolerate it. And she said that you can start to expand that with enough support and coping skills and strategies so that you have a larger window that you can sort of function well within. Is that the same? I mean, she always tells me that from like an emotional standpoint more, but is that a term that you would use with sensory preference as well, like window of tolerance?
1: Um, I haven't used that specific term, but it makes so much sense in the way that you're explaining it. Okay. If stress makes our cups shrink, we're going to avoid things in stress because Mm. our body wants to protect us, right? And we'll do anything to keep scary or negative things away. And if our body has had negative interactions with any certain kind of sensory stimulation, it's going to say, okay, okay. Swings are bad because you have a small vestibular cup and last time you got on a swing, you felt sick to your stomach. So you can never swing on any swings anymore. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were to approach a swing, when you have that window of opportunity, like you're talking about where you're calm, where you're a little bit more logical, you're not fighting everything, Mm -hmm. then you're able to say, okay, here's how I can do this with a small vestibular cup and navigate it that way for sure. Yeah.
0: So just like you can make your cup bigger, can you also make it smaller? If you avoid things altogether because they scare you or whatever, will your cup get even smaller and smaller?
1: I think so. Yes. Yes. That's a really good question, which happens with a lot of picky eaters.
0: Yeah, I can see that with one of my children that's intensely picky. I think it's just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller over time, which is frustrating and concerning. So so what is our next takeaway? Because that might help with that or any other need that a parent sees like, okay, my kid in this area, we could work on expanding their cup or we could build our family life a little better to support this child once we know their needs.
1: Absolutely. The second one is exactly that, knowing the sensory preference helps us understand behavior and address it as a sensory preference instead of behavior. So Mm. for example, I have a friend who, she came up to me one day and she's like, I just feel like I'm the least patient mom and I'm never going to be a patient mom. I said, well, what are you talking about? You know, and we talked a little bit and she said, whenever my kids get loud and squeal, even if it's happy squealing, I yell because I just can't tolerate it. Mm. And so I explained the sensory cups to her and she just started crying. She's like, oh my gosh, Wendy, I've never felt so understood before and so she was able to see again she has a small hearing cup and when that cup overflows even with happy laughter she gets overwhelmed and has to get out of it Mm. and so we were able to talk about things that she could do to minimize the overwhelm to her you know putting earbuds in or putting headphones on while she's making dinner while she's in a space at the end of the day when she's stressed and tired and her cup is even smaller but doing things like that to prevent and support her proactively or taking a walk before dinner. So she's kind of letting all the excess out of her cup so she has more to deal with or more to play with. Mm. So definitely understanding that it's not just stubbornness like you were talking about with your son. It's not just that he's being picky or that you haven't been stern enough or that you haven't tried the perfect parenting tip. It's that there's a sensory preference there. And until we identify it as such, the behavior will probably continue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love the specific ideas you gave to address it. Cause sometimes I think even when we know that we have a small cup in that area, we sort of feel like as parents that we just kind of need to deal with it and get over it. But just having the mindset of, I just need to get over it doesn't change like our biological wiring. So you will continue to be triggered regardless of what you're telling yourself mentally. So it's better to come up with some strategies for like getting noise-canceling headphones or some way that you can support yourself to get your sensory needs met as well as to help your kids get theirs met.
1: Absolutely. And I think that leads into the third takeaway, which is that when we support the sensory preferences in our lives and in our kids' lives, it helps us to avoid a lot of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And really, it starts to empower us to really understand ourselves and how we can be our best selves. And I know that's so cliche, like be your best self. Mm -hmm. But if we're constantly being triggered because our cups are underfilled, we're not getting enough of something. Mm -hmm. For instance, if my husband doesn't get enough movement, he gets really agitated and irritated and grumpy. You know, if your son is being faced with a situation where he's being forced or pressured to eat something, he's going to get agitated and irritated. Mm. But if our cubs are all leveled, and if we have that support knowing that we can be in any situation without feeling like we're pressured to be or do or perform in any certain way, then we really can be our best selves without that agitation and irritation and frustration. And that's when we can thrive as who we were meant to be. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Do you have any examples of parents that have used this knowledge in order to avoid quote bad behaviors with their kids.
1: Absolutely. So we're talking about the eating thing and I can give you a few examples of that. Again, I'm sure Rachel, you can attest to this. You've been told all the things that you should do to make your kid not be so picky because mm-hmm. clearly it's your fault that he's picky, right? Like <laughs> of course it is.
0: And like even though rationally I know it's not, it feels like a personal failing. It feels like a parenting failing, which just adds more stress and pressure around the whole situation. The sense that somehow I failed because of this.
1: Oh my gosh. Right. I'm so sorry that you feel that way, but I get it. Right. Because that's what society says. But yeah, so we've had a few students in our courses in the past that have had kids who've been picky eaters and they've taken that pressure off their kids and they've explored food in a different way that feels more safe to their kids. For example, putting food in your mouth is really anxiety producing if you've had bad experiences putting food in your mouth in the past. A lot of people who've been pregnant can attest to this (laughs) because Mm. you have one bad experience with pancakes or waffles when you're pregnant and all of a sudden you hate them for the rest of your life, right? Well, kids can be feeling the same thing. So giving them interactions with food without pressure and in safe environments where they feel free to explore and be curious at a rate that they feel comfortable with helps to expand their curiosity and they feel more empowered to just experiment. So I've had a mom whose kids, again, less than 15 foods is what they were eating. And then one day her daughter asked her if she could lick her shrimp. Shrimp is a crazy thing, but Mm -hmm. she just felt the pressure was taken away. She wasn't forced to sniff, bite, lick, whatever. And so she felt like, okay, now my curiosity can take the reins and it's safe. If I don't like it, I don't have to eat it. If I don't love it, whatever, it's fine. And she did that. And a lot of other parents have had um, a lot of success with like helping kids explore food with their hands first or maybe with utensils first. Let's play with food. Playing, in general, is a great way for kids to learn. And if we can bring a positive environment into things that kids have aversions to, sensory aversions to, then it helps them, again, to be curious and want to explore it more.
0: Yeah. And when
1: we do that in something that's really difficult for them, then they feel supported enough to be able to Navigate it.
0: Yeah. One thought that I had when you were talking, Wendy, was that it, maybe you could look at a problematic behavior that is happening in your home and ask yourself if sensory could have something to do with it. So look at the whole situation and then say, what sensory elements could be part of the situation that might be causing my child to act out? You mentioned in your outline a friend of yours who had a daughter who fought bath time. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So my friend, she just thought she had a really stubborn five-year-old who just hated to have her hair washed. And so every time she said, let's take a bath, she got resistance. She got defiance, all the things. And so she tried addressing it that way and time out, whatever, you know, all the things that she was told that she was supposed to do. And one day she realized her daughter has a small touch cup. And so her skin is really sensitive. Mm. So she asked her daughter one day, she said, why don't you like taking a bath? And she said, mom, it's because when you rub my head, it hurts. And her mom actually was a friend of mine. And she said that she had been intentionally rubbing her head really hard because she had been told it helps stimulate hair growth. And she was just trying to do her best. But once she started rubbing her head more gently, when she was washing her hair in the bath, her daughter actually really started to enjoy bath time and didn't fight it anymore. Hmm. So exactly like what you said. There's typically a reason that we avoid or seek out something. You know, if we have a kid who's really wild and aggressive, a lot of times it's not just because they're a wild child and out to just make our lives miserable. It's because they have a really big proprioceptive cup that they're trying to fill And they need an outlet to be able to do that. So taking Mm -hmm. them to the park, for example, would be a fantastic way to do that. So they can come back and focus or pay attention or be still or whatever it is that we want them to do.
0: Yeah. And redirecting, saying to a child, you know, who's wrestling and climbing all over inside the house and you're worried they're going to break things, saying, I can see that you really need to move your body right now. And that's okay. But we need to do that outside on the trampoline. Or just redirecting that you can get that need met, just not in this setting, and here's another way to do it, can be really effective. And I
1: love that example that you just gave. You spoke to the sensory preference, not the behavior. And then you gave them a way to meet that sensory preference within the boundaries of your parenting style or within the boundaries of your home. And that's exactly what brings the most successful outcomes in different homes is when we can speak to the sensory preference. Like for me, I have a small hearing cup so when I'm on a road trip with my kids and we've been in the car for eight hours and I'm really irritated or stressed or there's lots of traffic, it's easy for me to say, hey, guys, my ears need a break right now. What can you guys do to be quiet so my ears can have a break? So they can they can hear that instead of me saying, I can't handle you guys being so loud anymore. You just need to stop talking. You know, It's not them. It's my ears. And when we can speak to that, again, it's just so empowering.
0: Yeah. So what do you do? I'm glad you brought up the car because I feel like that's like a contained environment where people get on each other's nerves. What would you do if you have one child that is very joyful and singing and not trying to irritate anyone, and then you have another child that has a small hearing cup that gets overloaded very easily with sensory, and that child is saying, will you just shut up already? I'm so sick of your singing, you know, and it is nasty to the kid that's just happy. And how do you mediate that? This is a very real scenario in my house. On the one hand, I don't want to shut down the joy and the songs and the singing of the happy child in the moment. And I also don't want to support being mean, but I also recognize that the other child is overwhelmed and overloaded. So how, as a parent, do you mediate all of that?
1: First of all, it's hard when sensory preferences in the home are complete opposite, right? You've got a big hearing cup and a small hearing cup. And I would say in this situation, it's easy when there are boundaries in place. And when there's something that's predictable, we tend to tolerate it more. So, for example, when I turn on the blender, I have a child with a really small hearing cup. When I turn on the blender, I have to let him know ahead of time or mm-hmm. else we get some freakouts. But if he knows ahead of time, he can prepare his body for it. So having something ahead of time, like it's going to be singing time in the car for the first 10 minutes that we're in the car together, whatever you want to say. Do you want to have some headphones on? Do you want to put in some earbuds with some music? This is her time. Mm. Then after her time is over, then we can have some of your quiet time. So they can see that they're meeting each other's sensory preferences without one winning or one losing, Mm. um, but also speaking to it in that way. You know, when he says, shut up, that's horrible or whatever he's saying or she, I'm not sure who's saying it, but say, oh, it seems like your ears need a little break right now. What if we have a five minute break of quiet time and then she can go back to her singing or something like that, but redirecting it to what he's actually feeling what's causing that feeling rather than the reaction to his feeling. Because the, yes. shut up, you're a horrible senior. That's the reaction. The reality <laughs> is, because the are need to break. Why are
0: siblings so mean to each other? That's oh That's a gosh. whole discussion for another day. Oh my word. But yes, I think what you said there about Getting some noise cancelling headphones or something for that child to wear, so you 're not saying you are bad or you are mean, horrible child because you can't handle this singing you know i I think that's so so great. I also think that teaching your kids this metaphor with the cups, sitting down and having a family meeting, and talking about the senses and talking about the cups and kind of developing this common language around this so then they can express like my hearing cup is overflowing right now. I need a break. They can start to self-identify how big or small their cups may be in these different areas could be really effective. Is that something that you've done with
1: your children? Yes, definitely. And with so many people online as well, I have a workbook that we can put in here. Yeah. and I gave it to a friend to just test it out before I put it out to the world And it was really interesting because she came back and she's like, Wendy, I wish I would have had this so much sooner. I understand my husband better. He understands me. We're Mm. able to have discussions in our home about how we can support each other. And another student of mine actually came back and said that her seven-year-old came back and said, this is why daddy comes home frustrated sometimes because he has a small visual cup and things are cluttered. What can we do to help the house be more organized so daddy doesn't get so irritated, which yeah. again, we're responsible for our own emotions, but we can yeah. support the sensory preferences in our home, which is really empowering.
0: Yeah. So empowering this whole conversation. I know many moms listening are having all the light bulbs going off and they're figuring things out and, You've prepared a resource to help moms to dive into this further. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We'll have it in the show notes, as well as where they can get in touch with you if they want to work with you further.
1: Yeah, I am on Instagram at Wendy wendybertnalk. And yeah, this workbook is meant to just be something that you can fill out with your family at home. It explains the senses, each of the senses, and kind of what it would look like to have a big cup or a small cup in each of the senses. And so you can go through as a family and talk about it and have that language in your home so you can start using these things. Instead of, shut up, you're so annoying, you can (laughs) hear more things like, my ears need a break. It's really, it's so great.
0: Yeah. And you teach some parenting courses as well, right? Would they just know about those from your Instagram? Is that how they'd find out about them?
1: Thank you for asking that. So the Instagram account that we use for our business is Parenting Big Emotions. Mm. And over there, we talk about how to parent with more emotional intelligence. And I feel like you can't talk about emotions without understanding sensory preferences. So it really all comes into play. And over there, I've partnered with two other people and we do a monthly workshop where we talk about one specific topic in parenting that can be difficult. Like last month we did navigating anger. We're going to do sensory workshop. We have a lot of other workshops coming up that people can be part of and understand how to start navigating these things with more emotional intelligence. So that's parenting big emotions on Instagram.
0: What a beautiful resource for families. I'm so grateful that you came on today and taught us about this. You're right that this is a hidden aspect of behavior that we just don't talk about enough as parents, that after you hear it, you're like, this makes so much sense. This should be like Parenting 101 and and Absolutely. Life 101, like Relationships 101, and yet we don't know. So thank you so much for coming on 3 and 30 and sharing your wisdom with us today.
1: Thank you. It's been fun.
0: I'm so grateful to Wendy for bringing her expertise to the 3 and 30 community and I hope that your mind is as blown as mine is. I can't wait to sit down with my family and talk about sensory preferences and how big our cups are in each of the seven areas. Here's a recap of our three takeaways. First, we all have sensory preferences. This means that we either avoid or seek out stimulation in each of the seven areas that Wendy described. Seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, and then proprioception, which means the amount of pressure we like to have on any of the joints in our body, and vestibular, which means how much we can tolerate our bodies being in motion. Second takeaway, knowing our sensory preferences helps us understand our behavior. We aren't bad parents when we get overwhelmed and lose it, We just aren't supporting our sensory preferences and we can make tweaks to that so we can be more calm and patient in all of the variety of situations that come up in our homes. Which leads right into our third and final takeaway. Supporting our children's sensory preferences can help to mitigate a lot of difficult behaviors. When we stop identifying our children themselves as the cause of misbehavior and instead identify their sensory struggle underneath, we can start brainstorming supportive solutions. This will help us parent with a lot more empathy, connection, and effectiveness. Thank you for being here, my friends, and for being committed to being a positive and proactive parent. Don't forget to grab Wendy's Sensory Preferences workbook that will be linked in the show notes. I know I will be going through it with my family, and I hope you have a wonderful week with yours.